0: Pretty amazing song. How great is our God. In fact, uh, our God is so great that uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do to our lives as a result of today's scripture reading. And so you're probably thinking that scripture reading is pretty weird. Yeah, it started off pretty bad, then all of a sudden in the middle got kind of good, and then it kind of got bad at the end again. And that's where we're going to look at scripture today. And we're going to begin and see what God's going to do in our lives. And we're going to begin at verse 1 of this particular chapter where it says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. Now, some of you probably are tempted to check out right now because you say, I ain't no priest. Uh, And this passage obviously is not about me. Or is it? the answer is, uh uh-huh. It's all about you. See, the connecting point in our lesson today is that term priest, because it was not only used to identify um, a certain group of people in the Old Testament, but it's also applied to every last person who lives in New Testament times, and that would include every last person who's here today. Now, most of you may know that in the Old Testament, priests were descendants of Moses' brothers, Aaron's son, Levi. Uh, And they were called Levites. And these were the guys who served uh, in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that portable church. And then later on in the temple in the New Testament times, they were set apart for two primary reasons. One of them was to sacrifice animals. The other thing was uh, to serve God. So sacrificing and serving was the call of these priests. Now, under the New Testament, and that's us, we are New Testament people. Jesus becomes what? The great high priest. And he also offers himself as the final sacrifice. And he fulfills the office of the priesthood. If we go further into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, for example, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess." Now we can also go back uh, and take a look at other Bible passages, but you know Hebrews uh, seven also makes it clear that because Jesus has become a permanent high priest, that Old Testament priesthood is no longer uh, is is no longer valid today. He says, unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So the last great high priest was Jesus who said, I can make an offering that's going to take care of everything forever. Now, amazingly, though, uh, this scripture passage teaches us that we gathered here this morning as Christ followers are all priests. We are set apart for a couple of purposes. We are set apart uh, to worship and also to practice what I would call sacrificial uh, service. Peter, when he wrote his first epistle in chapter 2, verse 9, says, But you are a chosen people. You are what? Anybody know how that goes on? A royal priesthood, a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then the, even John, the apostle, as he's writing the book of Revelation in chapter 1, he says, He has made you to be a kingdom and priests to serve your God forever. So welcome to worship today, priests. This is what we've been called to do. Now, here's how this passage, I think, kind of percolates in our lives today, because you know, some of you are thinking, oh, this is a lot of Old Testament stuff, maybe we've got priests, sacrifices, You know, how, does this, how, how does this get up to this? Well, every Christ follower, if you count yourself as a Christ follower, a Christian, whatever terminology you want to use today, Uh, You're set apart for worship and service. Right now you are in the worship, which is also kind of a form of service. Some of you who are here this past Thursday as we distributed food through camp, it's that time of service. If you've been over at White River, it was a service. You've got worship and service kind of going together. And just as the priests in the Old Testament were to point people to God, each of us is called to lead other people in that same direction. Now, sadly, I think we kind of forget that we are actually called to be uh, disciples or priests today. We kind of go through our life and kind of, well, I'm going to save that until Sunday morning and so we kind of default, kind of seeing our duty kind of as drudgery. Now, today, what I'm going to do is we're, it's interesting. We've got some bad news with good news in the middle and then bad news at the end. And so I'm going to kind of try to do. The first and the last together in the middle all together. And we're going to talk about, first of all, five fatal flaws. And that kind of contributed to this spiritual slide in the Old Testament uh, with people who should have known better. And sandwiched in between, we're also then we're going to get to look at five leadership lifters at the end. I hope that will encourage all of us. And so as we look at Malachi 2 today, we're introduced to a group of leaders who were terrible? <laughs> these were these were not good guys. Uh, they exhibited what we would call conduct unbecoming, and they did it with kind of an air of uh, I don't know, flippant in, uh, invincibility. So, here's fatal flaw number one: they just plain simple dishonored God's holiness. Uh, verse two it tells us they didn't honor God because they didn't bother listening. It says. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Now, listen. If you go back and take a look at that Hebrew word, it means to hear intelligently, with the implication of obedience. I'm going to. You didn't listen and obey. You might have listened. You ever have kids that do that? I heard. But I didn't follow through. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular, but I just see one child sitting between two parents today. It, It works that way. I raised kids the same way. Some of you did as well. But to take it to heart, it's the implication of obedience. It's an active decision of the will. And then we see God referring to himself as the Lord of hosts again. And they just four more times in this little section today, Lord of hosts pops up again. That self-existent one with the host of angelic armies. I don't know how we can look at God. I, I can't look at God any other way in these last weeks since getting through uh, this whole thing with Malachi. Because every time I see the Lord of hosts, I just, oh man, God's got these angelic armies. <laughs> and who am I that I've got this kind of protection? You get really got that kind of perfection? Was it Amy Grant who's saying, angels watching over me? I remember that song a number of years ago you got this whole army of angels that God's got around us today. The crazy thing is, the priests don't care. The people don't care. They're bored. They're bored with it. And yet, because of God's love and because of God's grace, he offers them a chance to return. But if you look again at the very first word of verse 2, it's the word if. If. God's given them a, a condition. If they proceed in sliding south in sin, then he will punish them. On the other hand, if they give glory to God and set their hearts to honor him in his holy name, he's going to unleash blessing after blessing upon this group of people. But then it gets very graphic. And maybe some of you kind of flinched as you heard the reading today because you heard a word said in church you probably never ever heard said before. If they don't grasp God's greatness, he says, there are going to be three things that are going to can come down pretty quick. One of them is rebuke. In the second half of verse two, God declares he's going to send curses on them. That's pretty powerful. Now, we don't hear much about curses today. Every once in a while you hear somebody, uh, this witch placed a curse on me, man. Uh, my God is greater than any witch. Um, It's kind of like more today, wishing bad stuff on people. Uh, A curse was considered to possess kind of an inherent power of doom. uh, And to send this means to hurl or let loose. So God was just going to let loose all kinds of bad stuff on these people unless they shaped up. And when God says, I'm going to curse your blessings, he's saying that sin and rebellion, uh, the lives that we leave sometimes are not just washed away by some pastor who gives some benediction or attending a worship service on a Sunday morning. In other words, they can't bless themselves out of this mess. Uh, verse 3 begins with some tough words that are aimed at their children and grandchildren as well. This is, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And we probably need to think a little bit more about that than we do sometimes. But, you know... Uh, are we living in light of the legacy that we're leaving behind? You know, one of the songs our family likes to sing is called Find Us Faithful. And it ends up by saying, may the footsteps that we leave lead them to believe. May all who come behind us find us faithful. And I, I know that we, we can struggle with that sometimes. We kind of wonder whether our kids are indeed doing that. Or have we really done what we should have done? Well, and this is where he's going kind of say, we need to keep on thinking about these kind of things. So here's the second thing. There's rejection. He said, I hope you haven't... In fact, I'm going to tell you, I hope you haven't eaten breakfast too soon because the middle part of verse 3 is among one of the strongest verses you're going to find in the Bible. He says, I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. I'm going to smear manure on you. Now... What on earth is this all about? This seems pretty graphic. Well, you got to understand that priests were accepting sick sacrifices and offering them to God. They weren't even given the best. And when the priests offered uh, or were sacrificing animals, they'd lay them on a table and then they would slaughter them and they would take all of the intestines and the organs and move them aside. So they could burn them later. But the priests were too stinking lazy to do that. They were putting the whole thing on the altar. And God is saying, because they have not honored me, my holiness by doing sacrifices the right way, He's going to give them a manure makeover. He's not going to stand for sloppy service. That's pretty tough stuff. That's removal that the rebuke leads to rejection finally he said your faces are now filthy you're covered with this manure you can't even do your job anymore and he said so and then in end of verse three he said i'm taking away your job as a pastor that's pretty harsh <laughs> i can't imagine i hate to ever think about that that god would come to me or come to the leaders of this congregation and say you know Your pastor's got manure over his face. He's not leading properly. He's leading you astray. I'm going to take that job away. But that's what he's saying to these priests. See, God's not passive with how we treat his name. God just kind of goes, No, they're just having a bad day. No, he's not passive that way. He's not going to allow anybody to prosper uh, for long in any form of rebellion to his will. Now, why is that? Well, it goes back to Malachi chapter one, verse two, one of the very first verses we looked at. It started out by saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. He loves us too much to allow us to keep on living the way we are living. So here's fatal flaw number two. He said they departed from the way. And see, the first step to move away is a disregard for the I would call it the weightiness of God. Uh, verse eight says, "But you have turned aside from the way." Or the New Living Translation, which is kind of a paraphrase, says, "You have left God's paths." See, once a leader, once and all of us—I consider as us all leaders in one way or another. Once we stop walking with God, you need to get back in step with them, or otherwise your ministry is gone. Here's fatal flaw number three: it's destructive to other people. When we depart from the way, when we're not doing what God asks us to do, we end up taking other people with us. He says, you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. Now, all of us here today influence somebody, some way, somehow, sometime, somewhere. And since we have that ability to influence someone, if we grow cold, chances are the people that we influence grow cold as well. Uh, Paul, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says bad company corrupts good character. Uh, the priests were not walking with God. And instead of pointing people upward, they were literally in the temple tripping these people. Uh, and God says this pretty strongly. Another passage comes to mind, Isaiah 9. Those who guide this people mislead them, and those who are guided are led astray. Shouldn't happen. Now, Jesus had absolutely no tolerance for this. Maybe some of you remember this when uh, the disciples want to chase the kid, little kids away. Remember that? Uh, Matthew 18, uh, verse 6. He said, But if anyone causes one of these little ones, paidio, these, these infants almost, he's talking about, these little babies, these little toddlers here, uh, who believe in me, which is always an interesting thing, we preach a long time about. I mean, those little kids have, are capable of belief. Oh, you better believe they can believe in Jesus. He says, but if you cause one of those little ones to stumble, it would be better to have a large millstone. We could talk about how much those things weigh, how big those things are, hung around his neck, and then toss that person into the deepest part of the sea. And so Jesus takes a dim view of leading people astray. His fatal flaw number four, they desecrated the covenant. God had a special rapport with priests that can go all the way back to Levi. In verse 8 he says, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And and corrupted here again, the the essence of that Hebrew word is um, to decay or destroy. It's kind of like back in Genesis 6 when God looked at the world during Noah's day. And he said, you have have corrupted. uh, uh, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. And what we know is we've got a big flood. Here's fatal flaw number five. They were actually despised by the people. Guess what? The people didn't like what was going on. It's kind of ironic that the priests were accepting, I guess, call them substandard sacrifices in large part because they didn't want to get the people mad at them. But because they were in a spiritual freefall, they ended up actually being rejected by the people. Verse 9 says, And so I make you despised and abased. In other words, I, I'm going I'm to humiliate you before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but have shown partiality in your instruction. That's the first part, these fatal flaws. What we've got here is, if we don't take our relationship with God seriously, no one else around us is going to take a relationship with God seriously as well. And that's enough bad news, so let's, let's move on to some good news. So we got the two ends of this scripture reading today about how bad things work. Now we've got to look in the middle here and talk about some leadership lifters. What's God calling us to do? Here's leadership lifter number one, and that's just to respond to God in obedience. You know, God desires for us to listen, to set our hearts to following him. And it's kind of one thing to believe it's something, but it's another thing to actually act on it. In James chapter 1, I'm going to read this from the message, which is kind of an interesting paraphrase. It says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. The question is, are you, are we, am I listening to the Lord? I met with a couple on Saturday morning coffee shop and they asked me this question it says, Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, I've got a word of the Lord for you. I said, Yeah, I've heard that before. I don't know ever... I've got a word for you today, Jeff. They said, Well what do you think? I said, My first thought is it better be from the Bible <laughs> because if it ain't from the Bible, <laughs> I don't know where this word's coming from. Now, if they just want to offer me their opinion, like uh, you should you should order a different kind of coffee, that's what, that's their opinion. But if they're going to say, God spoke to me last night, uh, I'm going to say, well, it says in many and various ways, God spoke to people to the prophets in these last days. He's already spoken to us by his son and not by you. And yeah, it says, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Letting the word go in one way or the other. Well, here's another leadership lifter, and that's just to revere God as awesome. We could have sung that song today, I suppose. I haven't sung that in a long time. Our God is an awesome God. Um, in um, verse 4, God's longing for his covenant with Levi to continue. And Levi was the third of Leah's sons that were born to Jacob, and his name means to adhere or to be joined to. And What's interesting is that making the covenant with Levi... Is never formally recorded in Scripture. In fact, there aren't very many nice things said about Levi in all of the Bible, and yet God established a priesthood that's still hooked up to His name today. And that's why God was so grieved in the days of Malachi when the people kind of uh, they kind of sniffed at the uh, at the sacred and they rejected the awesomeness of God. So we go back to Malachi two, verse five. He describes this covenant relationship it Says, my covenant with him was of life and peace, and I gave them to him and he feared me and he stood in awe of my name. That's the relationship he had with Levi. And so, friends, I, I would suggest to you that if we revere God as awesome, uh, we'd be changed forever there's no question about it. And all too often, we kind of fail to understand who he really is. I mean, he's the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you you name it. He's all of those things. But sometimes we really don't honor his holiness, his set-apartness. We lose sight of it, of what's really important. But here's leadership lifter number three. And that is to resolve to lead yourself. Verse six. What I mean by this is that we need to make sure... Our spiritual reality is done right as well. Verse 5 says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. So if you want to lead people upward, um, we need to make sure that God's word penetrates our hearts first of all. We need to concentrate our walk with him and then let that show to other people. Now, here's leadership lifter number four in this text. Repel people from sin. The last part of verse 6 challenges us to do whatever it takes to turn many from iniquity. And that word iniquity has to do with crookedness. It's like a snake. Get rid of that, that crookedness. When we see somebody straying, we may be tempted to turn the other way. I'm guilty of that been there, done that. Somebody came and told me about stuff that was really bad in their life, and I just said, well, suck it up, deal with it. It didn't quite do it that harshly, but I walked away and I thought, you know, basically I just said, well, buddy, you got yourself into it. Get yourself out of it. That's not the way we need to lead people. We need to offer them some way to get out. You and I have talked about somebody they kind of found themselves in deep spots. How do you lead them out? Just, hey, that's your problem. Don't call me again. Don't text me again. Don't write me again. No. Let's talk about it. Feed them scripture. See, James five nineteen 19 and 20 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth. And this, is a, this is an interesting thing. If I found out that one of you is wandering away from the truth, that's what he's saying to me. If one of you finds somebody who's wandering away of the faith, what does he say? Someone, and maybe that someone would be, have your name written in that text, Anthony or Bo or Barry or Nancy or Artie. He's going to say, remember this, uh, someone should bring that person back. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So we've got an awesome calling as his disciples. I don't know about you, but is there anybody you know that's deliberately disobeying God these days? you know somebody like that? Do you need to make a visit? You need to pick up your phone? You need to fire off a text, Facebook message? I think all of us probably have that calling at different times. You see somebody going off the rails. Rather than say, glad it's not me, say, no, my responsibility as a Christ follower is to see what I can do to help. Here's leadership lifter number five. Represent God to others. We see this in the first part of verse seven. It says, for the lips of a priest should guard Knowledge. When I was uh, sitting with people, again, at the coffee shop the other day, uh, they asked me if there's a special method I use or some routine I go through in order to prepare for uh, to preach on a Sunday morning. And I said, you mean besides praying and reading the scriptures? <laughs> and they said, well, yeah, you don't, do you have kind of a format? And I, I said, well, I don't really have a format, but I have a Bible Bible passage that's written on a small slip of paper that's tucked inside of the Bible that I use when I teach down in prison. And I said, I kind of always refer back to this particular Bible passage. It's in the book of Ezra. I think it might actually be on this. Yeah, it's on the, in the book of Ezra. Um, but what it says is this, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So what was Ezra doing? I'd say it's the same thing you and I ought to be doing. First of all, he was devoted. It wasn't kind of half-hearted, like, I'll do it if I feel like it, if I don't wake up feeling bad. But he, it was a devotion. This is, this is what you're called to. The second thing is to study. Jeff, you probably said, how do you know all of these strange languages? <laughs> how do you know all these other Bible? Fun-? Well, I don't think it just came to you overnight like lightning hit you in the head. Oh, man, Aramaic. Okay, now speaker. can speak Aramaic. No, you study it. Uh, Pastor, how do you know these things? Well, you study these things. And then what? You apply what you've studied. You take what you've learned and you you apply it. You try to get it into your life. And finally, you go and you start teaching other people. And that's a pretty good formula to follow. I really don't care. You know, we can talk about theology. But Becky, you could use that in education. It's the same thing. You, you you're devoted to what you're studying. You're gonna you're gonna be studying it. You're gonna apply it, and you're finally gonna teach somebody else. But take a look now at verse seven of our text. It says, "For the lips of priests should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts." I become more and more convinced that there are people out there today. In fact, more and more people today who really want to hear from us. And um, maybe it's just me, you know, where where I'm at. But I I have have a lot of questions asked of me every week. And I don't know if it's gotten to be more in the last year or whatever. I'll get it on a Facebook message. So, Pastor, what do you think about this? Or it'll be a text message. I was reading this the other day. Somebody told me about this, and I kind of want to know what what you're... What's your read on this? Or when you sit at the coffee shop and you get the conversation, they find out you're a pastor and they don't get up and move to another table. Uh, well, you know, even even other pastors, I sit with a couple of different pastors every week and we talk about what was God saying in this. How do you how, how are you going to interpret this? Well, the part of guarding God's knowledge because if it's in here, if it's up here. And somebody says, "Be prepared to give an answer when anybody asks a question." Uh, and the, another part of that is, are you making people thirsty for the gospel? Do they want to hear the good news of Jesus? Well, I'm going to end with one last great piece of advice. I think it's up on the screen. It comes from First Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, set Christ, set apart Christ as Lord of hosts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. People who have been pressed down, our calling is to lift them up. I pray that God bless all of you as you find those opportunities.